the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, good evening, everyone. Um, It's that time of year. I don't know who's been away yet, but if you are going away, you'll be faced with packing. If you're going away and you're flying, you'll probably realise that um, the allowed baggage is getting smaller and smaller, unless you pay. And depends how, how mean you are or how careful you are stewarding your money, is how much you try and squeeze into the smallest space possible. Just think of the amount of effort you go into in preparing and packing your bags and squeezing everything in just when you're going away for a few days or a week or a fortnight. Then imagine how much packing and how much preparation you have to do if you are going away overseas, possibly for the rest of your life. You're packing up, you're going, you're not returning. How much effort, how much energy, how much thought do you put into that? And that's where we are in the life of Jesus tonight. He is looking forward to where he's going. He's going, first of all, he's going to the cross, and that's right in front of his mind. Beyond that, he's returning to his Father, to his Father in glory. And then he's leaving behind his disciples. His disciples who he's been with for three years, who he's trained and taught and struggled with at times. All that he's been through, and he's saying, You're no longer have me. I'm leaving. I'm going. And so all the way through these final chapters in in John's Gospel, we see Jesus preparing himself, preparing his disciples for that moment when he will no longer be with them and they will be without him. And then he comes to this chapter 17, which we're going to read in a moment, and then he comes and says, starts to pray and to pour out his heart to the Father for himself, for his disciples he sees around him, And then next week, he prays for the disciples who will come afterwards. So if you're a believer tonight, he is the person, so you are the person he had in mind when he was praying. So all the way through. Now, tonight we are reading where he's talking to his disciples who are immediately with him. But I'm sure the same lessons apply. They weren't superheroes. They weren't different from us. They struggled. They made mistakes. They were human, like us. And so what we see Jesus praying for them is what we need ourselves in this world. I'm going to um, divide it up into different parts. Now, I'll be honest, if you've read this passage before, it doesn't follow a nice logical... I have to be careful, because it is scripture, but it, it, it doesn't follow a nice logical progression. That's the way my mind works. I like to divide things up and have step after step and this follows that, and that builds on that, and that grows. Well, that's what preachers do, isn't it? The passage doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't pray like that. He's like he's, he's looking at what he's praying, and he, and, he, and he goes round and round and looks at it from different angles and, and focuses slightly differently, and the same thing comes up at one point and a bit later than a few verses later. So it's not this nice logical sequence. I have divided it up like that. So bear that in mind. That's what I've done. But I think it helps bring out some of the key points. What that will mean is that I will skip over something. So I won't be able to preach on every single aspect of this passage. 
And there's loads in there that I would like to have talked about because this is Jesus praying for his people. What could be greater than that? Uh, Someone described it like this, that Jesus had three years on this earth. Then he died. Then he went into glory. What is he doing in glory? He's praying for his people. That's how important prayer was to Jesus. And that's what we're seeing something of tonight. Let's start. If you've got a Bible, who knows what page it is on the green ones? Thank you. 1024, that's great. Businesses are on top of the board here. <laughs> I am going to have to get it actually the paper because I'm afraid that the print is too small for me. <laughs> right. Verse 6, John chapter 17. I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything that you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. The first point, really, I wanted to focus on was at the, those verses is the position we find ourselves in as believers. We are all citizens of a new world. Um, the disciples have been given to Jesus. You'll see that again and again. Um, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me. And he says it again, and he says it all the way through uh, this short, short prayer. They've been given to Jesus. They belong to Jesus. And what that means is that they have been, if you like, lifted out of the world, and they're now in a new place. Their citizenship is in heaven, as Paul will say later. They're citizenship in heaven. They, they are not citizens of this earth. They're not citizens of this world. They are citizens of heaven. They have been brought out because they belong to Jesus. And that thinking about the world is a world which comes up again and again. If you look through John 17, and if you're quick and you count the number of references, there's either 17 or 18, depending on which translation you have. That's how many it is. And I, I did a little word cloud. I think these are a bit out of fashion now, but this is, you, you, you feed in a passage of text in, into a computer, and it will take out all the words, and every time a word appears, it makes that word a bit bigger. So the bigger the word, the more times it appears in that passage. So you get the feeling from this. World, world. That is where Jesus' mind is. And I think it's quite, quite obvious, really, because he, he's looking at a world... And he looks around him and he sees all the forces of this world coming towards him. And these are not safe, friendly, or neutral forces. When the Bible talks about world, it, it can mean different things. The, the, the biblical phrase is, is cosmos. And that can mean this created world, no, this, this rock that we live on. Or it could, it could mean the people of the earth. But again and again, when it talks about cosmos... It means this corrupt world that we live in. It's a sinister meaning. Let me uh, read to you um, something from the New Bible Dictionary, which describes it like this. Uh, it is not the world as God intended it to be, 
but this world set over against God, following its own wisdom and living by the light of its own reason, not recognising the source of all true life and illumination. Doesn't that sound like the society, the people, those we mix with on a day-by-day basis? Read that again. In the world not as God intended it to be, this world set over against God, following its own wisdom and living by the light of its own reason, not recognising the source of all true life and illumination. So Jesus sees this world, this, this sinister world, and all those forces are coming to meet him at the cross, and he will be carrying that burden of the world on that cross. As his arms are outstretched, he's also carrying the burden, the burden of, of my guilt, my sin, of all the rubbish in my life, he'll be taking that. And he knows also that he will shortly be leaving this world. He will no longer be living here. He will have left those disciples behind. How will they cope in this world which is not as God intended? How will God's people live in a world which, by its very nature, is against God? Well, I think one of the key things for us is that phrase, given. They have been given to Jesus. Each of those 12 around there have been given, 11, each of those 11 around him have been given to Jesus. They belong to Jesus. And when Jesus leaves them, when Jesus goes away, they may not realise what's happening at the moment, but they can look back and realise that they belong to Jesus and they were his. We too uh, belong to Jesus. Uh, Paul again says in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Now that price was the cross and we have been bought and we cannot be lost. Uh, Jesus earlier says in chapter 14, he talks about um, going to the Father and he says, my Father who is greater than all, and he says, no one and snatch them out of mind. No one can take them from Jesus. No one has the strength or power. And if you are a believer here tonight, whatever this world may throw at you, whatever may come, you will never lose that security. This world will want to make you think that God doesn't exist, that God is powerless, that God, as a concept, is outdated. We've already had it in the prayers tonight, haven't we? You know, around the world, there's that pressure on Christians, particularly in Europe. God is yesterday. That, that's the past. We've moved on. We've grown up as people. And we know that's not true. And we know that people are building a foundation which is, which is basically on sand. And our foundation is on rock because it's on Jesus. We are just passing through this world. We don't belong here. We're pilgrims. We're we're, we're passing through. And too often, and I'm talking to myself here more than, than anyone I know, we put down roots in this world. We get used to it. We we, we enjoy it. Uh, John Allen, um, years ago, and he was telling, he had this impression, this feeling that Something has changed in the church life. And this was, it must have been 10 years ago he was talking at least. And he's saying, something had changed. That uh, 
when thinking about the return of Jesus, people you know, looking forward to that, the anticipation the Lord would come and maybe snatch us up into heaven and glory. But now, he has said, if maybe the Lord Jesus appeared tonight, some people would say, Lord, what, already? No, just a few more years, Lord. I'm, I'm enjoying myself. It's, this world is great. And we forget that all that God has to offer, the only the good things in this world come from him in the first place. And he wants to bring us back home. And that's our security, where we will be. So, we're citizens of heaven, but we're also preserved. And I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to read the next, next section of verses, but you won't see the word preserved in these, so I apologise for that in advance, but I will explain that in a moment. So, this is verse 11, chapter 17. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture will be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Uh, Jesus prays. He prays for his disciples. Um, he prays that they may be protected. Now, protected in my mind gives a sense of kept free from harm, not suffering harm. And I, I struggled a little bit when I, I was thinking about this, thinking, well, he prays for his disciples to be protected. And these disciples that we read about in, in Acts and through history, and we read about them and think, he's praying that they're protected, but what's the history of the church? through the ages. What's the history of the church in Acts? It's persecution and hardship and attack and martyrdom. That doesn't sound like protected to me. That, that, that doesn't quite right. So I, I somehow feel the word preserved somehow seeks better. And if you've got different translations of the Bible tonight, various ones will use the word keep rather than protected. So uh, even amongst the, uh, the, the translators, there's, there's a slight difference of how do you put these Greek words into English. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a little bit of excursus, so if you want to have a short, short break, you're welcome to, and I will come back. Let me explain why. I've done the preparation, so you're going to get the benefit of it. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, Jesus has said many times, as I said, they've been given to him. So, in that first section of prayer we looked at, we talked about given. So that is the sort of the thinking in Jesus. So, Rather than protect, it's about their position in Jesus, how they've been given their part of Jesus, they belong to him, they are one with Jesus. Um, when Jesus talks about Judas, doomed to destruction, obviously he's not part of this prayer. Jesus very carefully excludes him from this prayer. Was um, Judas any less protected, any more protected? I think no more harm, no less. The harm he came to was he separated himself from the source of life. He separated himself from the Lord of glory. And the harm he brought onto himself. So he wasn't protected. It was, it was more about he lost. He lost that protection to become no longer kept in 
the presence and the relationship with Jesus. Uh, look down verse 15, and it says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So again, this protection is from the evil one. It's not from um, corrupt powers. It's not from persecution. It's not from financial uh, ruin. It's not from our own mistakes. It's from the evil one. And what does the evil one want to do? He wants to break up our fellowship with the Lord. So I, I, I'm going to go for the word preserve or keep. Now that's what Jesus wants for his disciples. He is going to preserve, keep us. We will not be lost. I talked about the certainty of being given to Jesus, that security. Jesus is promising that will not be lost. And there's a reason why I think Jesus prays that. And he goes on to say, verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. Jesus was not of this world and he was hated. His disciples, those 11 disciples were not of the world. They were hated. And we are in the same position. We prayed around the world um, earlier tonight. This is Open Doors. They support persecuted Christians around the world. I apologise slightly. This is a slightly out of date uh, map. But this map shows where it's hardest to live as a Christian. So the, the, the redder the colour, the more difficult it is. And we've seen something of that in what we've prayed tonight, that around the world, all sorts of governments and organisations are increasingly persecuting Christians. And it comes from not just from uh, one quarter, it's, it's corrupt uh, world powers that do it. So whether it's Islam or communism or Hinduism or just the corrupt human nature, it's against God. It's not just one thing. It's because the world is in the grip of our enemy. That enemy wants to destroy us. And we will face some of that. Now, I think we have to be honest as Christians. We don't face this sort of persecution by the countries which are in red. We don't face that. And I think we do those believers a disservice when we suggest maybe that we're suffering persecution. But we are suffering an increasing hostility. When I was young and I became a Christian, um, I was in my late teens, uh, I think I was 17 at the time. It, at that time, becoming a Christian, a little bit of a joke, you know. It was a little bit of an idiot, a bit of a fool, it, a, bit of, a bit of mockery, and that was it. And over the years... And decades since then, I've noticed an increasing hostility. So it's a movement from, you're a bit of a, well, a bit stupid really, through to, you are a bad, evil person. And we're seeing an increasing view that if you are a believer, by definition, you are a bad person. Now Richard Dawkins is a, is a, is a beloved character for Christian preachers to, to have a go at, but I think he, he, he illustrates this so perfectly. He has said that to teach our children about our Lord is similar to child abuse. 
So when we want them to know our Lord, want them to experience the love and the joy, we want to experience the fellowship we have with the Father and with each other, that's like child abuse. And that's moving away from saying, you're wrong in the sense of um, correct factually, to you are wrong morally. And I find that harder to bear. But it's no worse than what Jesus bore. In fact, he bore the real wrong, the wrong that I've done on the cross. So, as Christians, what's our response? Well, I, I think we've got to be careful that we don't seek conflict for its own sake. Um, the writer of the Hebrews put it like this in chapter 12. He says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So, we make every effort to live in peace. And I, I know that there are churches around the world deliberately are trying to antagonise, because they see this as some sort of human conflict and fighting. This is Westboro Baptist Church. It's a very small church in the States. But they will turn up um, at the service, the, the, the services for um, fallen soldiers. And, um, well, you can see the sort of signs they will bring with them. They, they will seek to bring controversy on, on themselves. Now, I don't think any of us will do that, but we have to be careful how we approach people. Because while it's really fairly obvious that those signs are not going to are going to hurt someone who is possibly grieving the death of a loved one, we've got to be conscious of what we say and what we do, how it may affect those who don't have our understanding. I've got a good friend. Um, he's not a Christian, and I've realised over the years that meeting up with him. To, he doesn't understand me. He doesn't understand what it means to be a Christian. And you get in the habit of talking to Christians because they understand what you mean, but he doesn't understand what the Lord means to me, and I'm sure to you. So the world has a different language and a different understanding. And it's not surprising. They're citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. So... How do we respond? Well, I, quite simply, it's by sharing the love that God has given us. He's preserving us. He's caring for us. We are his. And we seek to live in peace. We seek the good of the world around us. And so whether it's through front lines, um, where we're in our workplaces, through schools, through other activities, we're seeking the good of those we live amongst. Something may happen. That may mean that we face undeserved hostility. And that's a different matter. Attack and hostility just because uh, that love is something people find hard to respond to. That's different. And I think there's a sense in which, um, if I had a torch up here, I'd sort of shine it out. The sense in which we as believers are shining a torch out into the world and it shines brightly. And there's a story that um, when um, electric light came into houses and electric power came into houses, um, people could buy vacuum cleaners and do the hoovering and you'd think that work would go down. But the history apparently is 
that the work went up. The amount of housework that needed to be done, I don't know whether you do it or not, but the amount of work that should be done went up. Do you know why? Because the dirt was more obvious. Windows were bigger, lights were brighter, people could see better. And they could see, ooh, this is a bit dirtier than I realised, when you just go by candle power. So maybe there's something, if you don't like doing housework, <laughs> move to candle power. But it's like that. We shine God's light on it, and it, and it, and it reveals that we may not be doing delivery, we're just sharing truth and our love. And that will reveal dirt. And it may be slightly blind people as well, they don't like it. And some people will respond negatively. It doesn't stop us acting like that. It's just, it's not fair. But I don't think Jesus at any point here prayed that we wouldn't face unfairness. There was a, a story by, um, in The Independent, I, I also read a magazine, which, or a newspaper, which was I thought was quite useful. It, it, was, it was geared around um, Christians working in the city, and it was more focused on about how can you be a Christian when you're working with banks. But there's one little section here which I thought was interesting about how people respond to Christians. And this was a, a youngish Christian who was being asked, he says, do, you know your, uh, do your colleagues know you're a Christian? And his response was, are you joking? Of course not. It makes things very difficult. The city isn't immoral anymore, it's amoral. It doesn't have morals, in other words. But if my boss thought I was relying on prayer to get me through the day, he'd look down on me. It would make me seem irrational. I tell him I'm going to physio when I go to church. And then he goes on talking about how difficult it can be to be a Christian. So it can be difficult. But through all that, God will preserve us. The Lord Jesus Christ has prayed it. If anyone's prayers are answers, it is his. The last thing that Jesus prays for is our sanctification. And that's down into verse 17. Chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Sanctify, same sort of root word as holy, and I'm sure many of you have been around church circles for any length of time, you know holy means set apart. Set apart by God. Uh, Jesus was set apart. He was set apart to come into this world to serve, to die, to rise, to bring a new people into being. The disciples were set apart. And not set apart in the sense of put to one side or withdrawn from the world. No, Jesus is very clear about that. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So those disciples were sent into the world. They, they live in the world. They, they don't pull back. Same for us. We have been set apart. Each one of us, as a believer, has been set apart. But the danger is, is, if we don't withdraw from the world, we can get immersed, enmeshed in the world. And we're meant to be there. We're meant to be, it's meant to be down and dirty with the world, working with those who so badly need God. But the danger is sometimes that we pick up the habits of the world. I'm going to be slightly careful how I phrase this, because... He's an incredibly divisive figure, Donald Trump. And I've looked with great sadness at how the church in the States has responded. And it's a danger for me to mock and to look down and feel superior. 
but so many of these people who I see making mistakes are my brothers and my sisters, and I think they're harming the, the ministry of God. And quite simply what they've done is they've seen one individual who they think they can use to achieve their purposes and not just be willing to vote for him, but be willing to excuse him, to excuse what he's done and how he's lived his life. Russell Moore is the uh, editor of Christianity Today. And he, in a recent interview, uh, he described it like this. He, he was... Um, I haven't got the transcript because it was a, it's a video, but he was, he was talking to somebody and saying, the influence of Donald Trump has been so great in so many churches that he's now got people speaking to him who say they will give a sermon. And then there's a little sort of aside. They'll mention something that Jesus said, maybe in the Sermon on the Mount, about turning the other cheek. And people have come up after him and said, where did you get that woke phrase from? Turning the other And they start to have a fling to the preacher. And the preacher said, What's the word of Jesus in the book? They say, well, that doesn't work today. And that makes me realise how far and how quickly we can turn our backs. And it's an extreme example, but we do need to be careful because we must not withdraw. We need to be close to the world because they need us. And that is really the phrase that we have heard so often. We are in but not of. We are in, but not of. We're in this world, but we're not part of it. We are different. We are not the same. I'm going to skip on to the end, because I can see time Time is ticking on. There's a sense um, in which sanctification is this now and not yet part of our lives. Uh, that's quite a common in the scripture. We experience things not in their fullness. We will not get that until we get into glory. But we experience some of it now, some of the first fruits. So the Holy Spirit comes on us and we are aware of his power. But that's just a, a, a taste of the glory that we will one day have. So we are sanctified now because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So each one of us has been sanctified. God looks at us and we are holy. There's also a sense in which we are being sanctified. Paul, uh, talking to the Thessalonians, says this. Um, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. And I think those are the two things that we need to experience in our lives. We need the Spirit within us and the Spirit will tell us that we belong to Christ. We are citizens of heaven. The Spirit will tell us that we are secure, that we are preserved, that we are kept by Jesus. And the Spirit will sanctify us, will make us holy. And the truth, as, as Jesus says in verse 17, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. And that's not just the Bible, that's part of it, but in a greater sense, it's Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And as we draw close to him, we will experience more of who he is. And as the Spirit works through us more, we will draw closer to Jesus. And the truth and the Spirit working together in our lives to draw us close to him, to whatever we face, 
we know that God is with us. We are citizens of his. We are safe. We are kept. And we are becoming holy and holy. And I think that's the right place to finish. Because this is the prayer of Jesus. It's not rarely about us. This is about who Jesus is. He is our saviour. He is our Lord. He is the one who went to the cross. And as he prays for us, he knows he is about to face that cross. And still, he prays for his disciples. He is concerned how they will live their lives. And that is the saviour that we serve. Shall we pray? Lord God, we echo the prayers of your Son. We ask that as we go out into a world that doesn't know you, is hostile to you, and is hostile to to your children, Father, protect us by the power of your name. Sanctify us by your truth. Amen. Amen.